Welcome back to the Broad Street Coverage Podcast. Once again with myself, Philly Sports Today, Nate, Philly Sports Gang, and Alex, Philly Eagles Only. So obviously Doug got fired, and we have a lot to say about it. So uh, Alex, you want to kick us off? Yeah, so um, the reason why Doug was fired apparently was because the owner, who is obviously Jeffrey Leary, he he wants a top five offense, according to Adam Kaplan, which makes sense. He's a big offensive guy. Um, and so his thought process is, I'm talking about Doug here, he wants to inherit guys from the organization. So guys like Press Taylor, um, and basically elevate everyone, everyone's coaching. And Larry's thought process was, we have to get outside guys, outside guys like Jim Caldwell, outside guys like Mike Kafka to be our offensive coordinator. And I, I don't think Doug wanted to do that. I think Doug wanted his uh, his own control over the organization. And Jeffrey Lurie had him on a short lease anyways, and he cut that leash, and now here here we are. So I 100% sounds like the, agree with yeah. uh, Lurie's decision to want an outside hire. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're not going like, to – I don't know how you can justify promoting from within. Like, you really can't. Like, what has Press Taylor done to deserve an offensive coordinator job? Mm-hmm, exactly. He's done absolutely nothing right. to deserve that. Because he's buddy-buddy with Wentz. Like, here's the entire here's the entire report. According to Jeff McLean of the Philadelphia Inquirer, on top of promoting Press Taylor to offensive coordinator, Doug Peterson also planned on promoting Andrew Bynum from passing game analyst to quarterback coach D.L. Mack or – a defensive lineman, Mac Burt, um, or former defensive back coach Cody Unilin to defensive coordinator and wanted to retain Dave Fipp as special teams coordinator. So, not a lot of changes there for yeah, 411. You need one change team. after so I, Well, exactly. I'm not saying you need. Like, I, I would have. I didn't expect Doug to be fired at all. Like, so I, I didn't think we were going to change. I didn't, I didn't think we were going to change yeah. that drastically. Because, like, typically after a coach wins a Super Bowl, makes the playoffs the next two years, typically guys like that don't get fired after one year. But, I mean, I think both parties were unhappy, and both parties were ready to move on. Like you said, Doug was uh, – Doug wanted to promote from within. He wanted more power over the organization. And it's It sounded like it wasn't really a firing. It sounded like – they mutually yeah, parted yeah, ways. Yeah. And I know yeah, a lot of organizations say that when they fire somebody, but it sounds like, yeah, I know a lot of organizations say that when they're firing somebody, but this sounds like this was actually the case because Deagles had every intention of keeping Doug Peterson before this. And now, now I think it's weird that there's a correlation between press Taylor and being promoted to offensive coordinator to suddenly Doug's on the hot seat. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it was clearly mutual. Um, it was mutual, and so. I mean, uh, it, Doug clearly thinks he'll be able to get a job elsewhere, whether it's this year or next year. If he wants right. to take a year off, so I mean, he he thinks he's a proven coach in this league, which he is a proven coach in this league. Uh, this year was obviously terrible in basically every way, but um, he's still proven in this league, and I still think somebody will give him a chance. So yeah, he definitely deserves a yeah. chance somewhere else. I just my biggest problem with Doug was the play calling and the scheme that he ran. I was never a big fan of the scheme. Um, 
even in 2017, I thought that some of his his best his best games, or I'm sorry, he had some. In my opinion, I thought he. Did, I don't know what I'm saying, but in 2017, I thought he had a very overrated season. Mm-hmm. Um, like just talking about like early on, um, I think that there's some parts where people kind of highlight like how bad the Giants and the Chiefs games were. Like Wentz was literally our leading rusher versus the Chiefs. When you have Legarrette Blount and really? yeah, he was. So I feel like there there is some spots to Doug that are extremely high. But at the same time, I feel like his most his best season is also an overrated season. I think that the talent was just so great on that team and everything worked from top to bottom that you couldn't really mess that season up, in my opinion. But I mean that's season. kind of a hot take, but exactly. Yeah. It was a dream yeah. season. And uh you know, obviously replicating that in the NFL is extremely difficult. I mean um but uh after after that Super Bowl win, I mean, I expected – I thought we had our coach for the next 10, 15 years. Like, mm-hmm. you know, maybe not 15, yep. but you know what I mean. Like, after a guy wins a Super Bowl that early in his head coaching career – Second season. Yeah. And 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 Wentz, too, even though Wentz didn't win the Super Bowl. Yeah, after – Wentz was in his second season. After I something like that, that happens, you don't you know I mean? expect them to be fired three years later. Right. Yeah. So – I mean, obviously, it's a disappointment that that's how it ended up, but um, now we just have to, to move on and hope that somebody can come in and turn it around for us. And uh, who do you guys think the, the best man for that will be? Well, there are a lot of unrealistic candidates. Like, obviously, the best candidate, in my opinion, is Brian Dable from the Bills. Um, but I think – like Mike Garofolo said, that the Eagles are a little late to that party. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason why I like Dable so much is that he's proven to develop quarterbacks with high upside. Um, Josh Allen, for example, who's never really the best player, most accurate player coming out of out of um, out of college, but he had an extremely high upside. And Ryan Dable now you can, clearly now you can argue him as one of the top like four to five quarterbacks in the league. Right, exactly. And if the Eagles want to keep Wentz. They could, um, they could hire, they could hire Dable and hope that he develops him. If he doesn't develop him, well, then Brian Dable was also Jalen Hurts' quarterback coach at the University of Alabama. So, yeah, there's correlation there. I think that it would be a perfect fit. I just don't see it reasonably happening. About Allen's development, though, like you could also argue that he's more of a raw talent, and Wentz kind of like has a lot that he has to like that he has to fix. Like he's been, you know what I mean. Like, yeah. when mm-hmm. a player first comes in the league, it's easier to develop a guy than freaking, what, year six now we're going on next year? Mm-hmm. So, yep. it, that's that's another thing. But like you said, even if he couldn't develop Wentz, you could always – he'd always be a great fit with Hurts. And, uh, but again, that goes back to the last conversation that we had uh, last, last week about, like, putting Wentz – back as a starter is going to crush Hurts but now that we got a new coach the the goal is to try to fix Wentz isn't it well I mean I think that that has to be the number one goal is fixing Carson Wentz because you paid him so much money and you also invested tons of draft capital into him it's not even it's not like you drafted him with the second pick and he just had an awful season 
you were the 14th. I think you were the 14th pick in the draft that season. I think 14th or the 12th. I can't remember. But you traded Byron Maxwell, um, Kiko Alonso, and a bunch of other stuff. I can't remember for the eighth pick. You then traded more to get the second pick and eventually take Wentz. So there's a lot that goes into that, even even just the contract. So I feel like that's something we have to take in perspective too. So the Eagles aren't just going to throw Carson Wentz away, in my opinion. No, they're, they're not. And him. they made that clear by firing Doug. Like, Wentz is, Wentz is our priority. Well, mm-hmm. like you said, I mean, it, even if it was mutual, Wentz is the priority. But um, it remains to be seen if Wentz is even fixable. I mean, do, do you guys think that – that he's fixable? Like, you, th- um, you think he still has a shot I mean, to be our franchise quarterback? Me and P.O. have been, like, little, like we've been arguing about this recently. Um, I don't really have much faith in him. P.O. Uh, has a lot of faith in him. Yeah, P.O. changed um, quick after, of faith in him. after Doug got fired. He was back on the Wentz wagon. I'm not on the Wentz wagon. I'm just willing to give him another chance now. Because I don't think that with the current coaching staff that we had, there was no reason to believe that Carson Wentz would ever come back to even his 2018 or 2019 self, much less his 2017 self. But now that he's going to have a completely different coaching staff, a completely different culture with him, I think that it's fair to assume that he'll at least not be terrible. I mean, yeah. that's just how I see oh, I don't think he'll ever be this bad again. No, I just no. don't think he's going to be like a top quarterback. Or like, I think he'll be average at best. But the thing is with Wentz is that he has so much physical upside, like just talking about like his size, um, his arm strength, just like stuff that you can't teach. He has so much of that. I, I don't think it's worth just throwing him out after one extremely bad season. Then again, you're losing, you're losing the value for him. But would you rather have an extra second round pick or would you rather have a potential franchise quarterback? That's just how I see it. I'd rather have a um, potential franchise quarterback and then – if Wentz becomes the guy, then what you trade hurts. I mean, or you keep Hurts as the backup when we all know. Well, he definitely believes, and I think that he could start elsewhere, for sure. I mean, yeah, that's probably true. But like, when you get onto the trade market, teams are going to be like, "Well, why didn't he beat out Wentz?" True. You know what I mean? True. And that's gonna that's gonna lower his volume a little bit or his value. So I think that. If you're going to get rid of them, there should be no – I'm talking about either Wentz or Hurts. It should be this offseason. There should be no quarterback competition. Yeah, that's – You just pick one, and that's how I see it. That's what I was going to say. Like, I just – I feel that we should just trade Wentz now and then next year um, have Hurts with a new coaching staff. And then if Hurts isn't it, just draft a new quarterback. Because in my opinion, I just I don't think it's worth the risk on keeping. I'm not gonna lie. I'd be... Hopefully, he proves me wrong because I think he's going to stay, and I want him to prove me wrong, obviously. But I just don't think that it's the right move now. I would be pretty disappointed if we traded Jalen Hurts. Yeah, because me too. I mean, like after after watching him play, I mean, you can't tell me that he didn't excite you. I mean, no, no, he definitely then, did. He was definitely better than once this season. Like, it's just trading him away? For debate. Imagine you trade him away. And he, I'm not saying that he's going to become, like, a superstar quarterback, but, like, you never know, right? He has he has a lot of things going for him. So, I just uh, – I would be disappointed if we traded Hurts, but at the same time, 
you can't keep both. You can't have another QB controversy. It's just not good for either of them. So yeah, it's just the last be a thing really hard decision. Is, for the last thing we want is a divided locker room again because we had that in 2018 with Foles. We had it in 2019 with Foles. Uh, now we're having it in 2021 with Wetson Hurts. Last thing you want. I'd rather have one bad quarterback than one bad quarterback, one mediocre quarterback, and a quarterback controversy. Sorry, I see it. That's a good point. So what do you guys think? Do you guys think that there's a lot of speculation going on right now that the reason why Doug Peterson is out is because the Chris uh, Chris Mortensen report that Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz, they have a relationship that's broken beyond repair. Do you think that that had anything to do with potentially Doug getting fired, or is that just speculation? I think it absolutely did. I mean, uh, sorry, I got distracted. I heard something in the bathroom or uh, the background. We'll cut this out. Um, okay. Yeah, sorry. No, it's fine. Uh, you want me to just restart? What was I saying? I'll just restart. I'll just restart. Ready? Restart. To say the same question again. Okay. Yeah. 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 I'm going to start at 14, 15. Three, two, one, go. Okay, so do you guys think that the reason why Doug Peterson is out, or not just the reason, but a reason, the reason why Doug Peterson is out, is because Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson's relationship, and mentioned in the Chris Morrison report, that it's broken beyond repair. What do you guys think about that? I think that it's absolutely a reason. Uh, Wentz definitely couldn't have taken the decision uh, very well when he got pulled, which uh, I was talking to somebody in a chat a while ago. It's just like, maybe Wentz has some growing up to do. Like, if you can't see that you deserve to be benched, then I really don't know what to tell you. Uh, Mm -hmm. But obviously, every NFL quarterback, every NFL player thinks that they're better than the person that they're competing with. You know what I mean? That's right. That's, that's competition. Like if, yeah. if you, if you didn't think that, then you wouldn't be, you're not made for the NFL. You know what I mean? Like that's mm-hmm. just what people, that's just what people naturally think. They're naturally going to think that they deserve the position, that they could be the position better than the person they're competing with. But at the same time, at some point you have to be realistic and see like, I was playing by far the worst football of my life. He had every right to pull me, especially when we're having a losing season this bad. So if that really is the reason, like if, if, if it had anything, anything to do with Wentz being upset with Doug or anything, then I think that's more of a bad look on Wentz's part than Doug's, but I don't know what you guys think. Um, I totally agree with you, 100%. And I also think it's a bad Same. look that Carson Wentz isn't speaking to the media and he's dodging everybody. Yeah, I was going to bring that I up. I think that's a really bad look. I think that even just, like, sending out a tweet or something, just trying to clear the air. Like, when that Chris Mortensen report came out, you know, if, if it was a fake report, do you know how many athletes would go out there on Twitter and say, this report is fake? Well, he claims he's a ghost on social media, so. I mean, we all know that's it's not, not an excuse, though. I know it's not. It's not an excuse. Yeah. But, um, I don't know. I guess he feels like 
he tells everyone that he doesn't pay attention to that stuff, and then by responding to it, he would contradict that statement, but I don't know. I mean, yeah, that's a fair point for sure, but I feel like it's common knowledge. Everybody knows about that report. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, yeah. Of course. Of course it's probably not denying it because it's true. Are. It's definitely true. Like, Exactly. I, yeah. there, there was tension there. There was obvious um, tension there, much more than obviously we could see on there's a lot more behind the scenes that we didn't know about. Obviously, there's probably um, there are probably multiple arg- uh, arguments. Of, we ha- we have no idea. I wish that we could have a little more um, information, but we don't. So we just have to go off speculation. Um, an interesting point about this is um, I, f- I forget when did that report come out. Like, didn't it come out the morning of the like final game of the mm-hmm. season, right? Um, so they were talking about this on uh, Eagles post game live about. Um, Doug said that he hadn't heard about the report at all in his post-game uh, uh, press conference. He hadn't heard about it at all. You think that um, – and he said he also said that uh, him and Wentz never discussed it. You think that um, after walking by each other multiple times, probably like um, talking pregame, you think that they didn't talk about this at all? Like, there's no way that... I mean, Doug's clearly um, BS. They wouldn't bring it up at all. that's clearly BS. Yeah, exactly. Like, they definitely discussed it. They definitely know about it. It's probably true. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I I would love to know how that conversation went. But, uh, yeah, that that probably... That maybe even fueled the tension even more. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, It was probably just... It probably got to the point where... I mean, I'm not saying that they they couldn't be in the same room, but like when when something like that comes out, it was probably awkward to be to, to be together. Oh, you know definitely, I mean? mm-hmm. definitely. So, so yeah, it's either you get rid of Wentz or you get rid of Doug at that point. So yeah, you asked if the report was true. The report's 100 percent true. There was definitely tension. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One thing that I find super interesting as well is whenever Carson Wentz goes to the sideline after a play or after a drive, or after an interception, or after a turnover, he never goes to Doug Peterson. He never goes to a coach. He never goes to a player. He goes to the tablet and sits on the bench by himself. And I think compared to Jalen Hurts, who did do that, who did go up to the coach, I think that has a lot to say when it comes to Wentz's relationship with not only the coaching staff, but maybe some players on the team. You know what I mean? Because – if you have that sort of friction where you just don't want to talk to to anybody, I think that says a lot. Yeah, and at that and and then that being said, we're still gonna keep him around. Like you know what I mean? Like if he has mm-hmm. tension with players on the team as well, I mean, I don't know. Well, I mean, like I, mean, I don't, I don't know the entire. We don't uh, know the whole thing, but going off what we were talking about last week, I think that the more and more that I hear, and the more and more that you know, I just use common sense. I could definitely uh, see Wentz being a locker room cancer. And I wouldn't not, say cancer. Maybe not, maybe not cancer in the way that Problem. people like uh, freaking – who am I thinking of? I don't know, like Antonio Max Brown Kellerman. or something. But like, oh, I thought you were talking about how Max Kellerman talking about – never mind. <laughs> no, I'm just saying like maybe not like a like a – like an absolute – I don't. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but you know what I mean. Like, head case. yeah, he's not a head case, but I could definitely see. Like, he probably 
doesn't like call guys out, but the point of him being a cancer might just be that he's not like he doesn't communicate and he mm-hmm. he keeps to himself. And as a quarterback, you can't do that. Like after like you said, after a play, you have to communicate with your players and your coaches. You have to you have to be you have to keep everybody involved in the know. You have to make it seem like it's a team, you know what I mean? Like if you just go over to the tablet by yourself, and I don't know, it's just not a good formula for success. Yeah, for sure. All right, Alex, so uh you have some thoughts on who you think we should hire to be next coach and uh, you know, you have a pretty good insight on the potential candidates. So what are you thinking so far? So I already said who I think we should hire, which is Brian Dable back mm-hmm. back earlier in the podcast. But um the guy I think is most realistic in my opinion is Mike Mike Kafka, the quarterback coach for for the Kansas City Chiefs. Um sorry, not Chiefs, Chiefs, obviously. Um but listen, he he was drafted by the Eagles in twenty ten. Um he's part of the Andy Reed Andy Reed coaching tree. The Eagles obviously have huge amount of respect for him. Um he he played a huge role in developing Patrick Mahomes. Um he's ready to call plays uh according to uh, just hearing other podcasts and um, Adam Kaplan, I believe, reported that that he believes that Kaplan's ready to call or sorry, not Kaplan, that Kafka's ready to call plays. Um, so the only question I have about Kafka isn't that he isn't about his X's and X's and O's, his football mind. I think it's more so his leadership role and how good of a leader he is. If is he a leader of men? And I think that's the number one question with Kafka. But outside of that, I would hire him today um, out of the candidates that I think are more, most realistic. Um, well, something I saw go ahead. Something I saw earlier was that do you think it would be too big of a jump for him to – like do you think that maybe he should be offensive coordinator first? I don't think so Like that should be his next because position instead of just head coach? I think that he's – there isn't much that he can do at the offensive coordinator level that he, he hasn't shown that he, he – well, not that he can't do his coach, but that he hasn't proven that he can't do. It, you, know, you know what I mean? Um, so, like, that's just that's just my opinion. I think uh, – go ahead. Uh, what I was going to say was, well, I do like Kafka, and I agree with, like, a lot, a lot of what you're saying, but um, what are your thoughts on Robert Saleh? I think that's how you pronounce his name. Uh Seems like he's probably going to be the Jets coach, but um, he's also tied to the Eagles. What would your thoughts be on Well, that? the thought process of hiring Saul was that you could not only – he's a leader of men, he's a great defensive line, but also he would bring Mike Lafleur, the 49ers passing game coordinator, to Philadelphia. And while that would be great, the thing is Mike Lafleur is such a, a high-quality name that he'd probably get a head coaching job in two to three seasons. So – I would be a big fan of Salah in the short term, and I think that he would do a great job at, re- um, at keeping the culture at a high level. And he'd definitely improve the defense, and he'd bring in big names for the coaching staff. Um, but would he fix Carson Wentz? I'm not too sure about that. He'd probably have to rely on someone else to do that. Yeah, that's yeah. a good and, point. Um, also, too, how will he improve the offense in general? I just don't see that happening. But I would be a big fan of Salah for mm-hmm. sure. Last thing, Lincoln Riley is a pipe dream, in my opinion. What do you guys think? 
Uh, yeah, yeah, I was just saying, I, I think he's definitely that. a pipe dream because it's kind of similar to – this is before the Sixers had a little more stability, but it's kind of similar to trying to lure Jay Wright from Nova mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. a sense that, like – Definitely really comparable. There's so that. much job security at Oklahoma, and there's just way better opportunities for him in the NBA uh, – NFL, sorry, I was thinking Jay Wright – um, I'm, Jay Wright's obviously a much more accomplished coach, and he's a much more prestigious name. But I'm just, I'm just saying, it, it's mm-hmm. similar in the sense that why would you leave a stable program where your job security is almost guaranteed for a dysfunctional franchise with a quarterback controversy, right? And negative and cap, too, and you just, just a bunch of bad. Lack, just, also, too, the lack of power in the organization. Yeah. Not being just, able to. I think that he would be better off if he were to take a head coaching job, I think he'd be better off somewhere else, and I think that he, I think he wouldn't. I don't think he would really consider here. Obviously, he has a good relationship with Hertz, but again. It's not just Hertz, too. Apparently, he has a really good relationship with Howie. That's why that um, that's why that the Eagles I, didn't I, have interest in yeah, him. Yeah, I, I heard that, but I, I still, I still just think that it's too much of a risk. Yeah. Because say sure. you get fired from this job in three years because the team's underperforming, mm-hmm. then what? You know what I mean? Yeah. Then you start as a the coordinator somewhere else, or you go back to college. It's just you're starting over. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I feel like I would go to a mm-hmm. place that's like closer to winning, like maybe like the Chargers. Right. So I don't know. That's my thought. My yeah, on. definitely Link makes sense. So now transitioning to Sixers, we've added a new member who uh, is making his first appearance. It's Nick at 76.Nation on Instagram. Yo. And uh, basically, we're just going to start out by talking about what happened tonight. Uh, the Sixers played a shorthanded Heat team. Uh, the Sixers were also shorthanded, but we did have our two best players and that uh, one of those players was just absolutely pathetic tonight, showing no drive to what to score the basketball. Honestly, just out of control on his drives. It was just it was embarrassing to watch. Fouling out was a blessing in disguise. Honestly, it really was. Like when when he was running it the was. offense, it was pathetic. And I will give him. I'm, I mean, I don't want to give him the benefit of the doubt, but like, you know, those lineups that he. That he the, the players that he had around him when he was in like that's not a recipe for success when you have Ben Simmons you can't surround him with like Maxi Dwight Howard yeah. I mean Mike Scott's a capable shooter and Danny Green was on yeah. but like still you know what I mean like Especially yeah Ben Dwight. and Dwight that's just a terrible pairing right there but it has worked in the it's worked the rest of the season when you've had other guys in there with him like shaking. Um. Yeah, like whenever um, we get in transition, it works. Like typically when you have Ben in like a center that can't really shoot but can run the floor like Dwight or like in the past for Sean Holmes. Um, it has worked at times, but like in a half-court offense. No, just and he work. got like – like this was some of the worst I've seen from Ben. And I think the lack of the spacing that we did have tonight played a factor. Like, I mean, you're willing to concede a three to Mike Scott. Well, I mean, he was what he shot like. I know uh, he shot a decent yeah, percentage. Yeah, Mike's tonight, been but... struggling this season. 
Did he not? No, I thought, he, had, he, I thought he was like four actually. for eleven. He or actually, something. four for ten. That's like four. I'm gonna book it up real quick, but he's that's pretty good. He's been he struggling has, he has. this year, and I thought he might have shot like forty percent, but I could be wrong. And then Danny Green started off on fire. I think that was Isaiah Joe. Oh, maybe you were thinking of. Green was on fire, and then he but ended up shooting like nine for twenty-five. Go ahead. That Nick. that offense can work with him, but like for example, when he ran to the foul line full steam and just stopped and just waited for someone to come when he had a wide open mid range, like that offense can work if he just shoots a mid range, doesn't need to go in but it mm-hmm. makes the defense respect it, and that'll get more shooters open. Um, yeah. Back to Mike, he was 6 for 16. Okay, for well, I guess three. not as good as I thought, but still. Um, capable. Capable, yeah. That, that, capable is a good word. He's a capable three-point shooter. And then I can't remember the exact lineup we had with Ben, but I don't know. It just wasn't cutting. He wasn't, he wasn't playing well at all tonight. And... <laughs> Um, Even defensively, I Duncan think, Robinson was torching him. Yeah, I, I just don't think, um, you know, it's just, it's just watch it, watching regression on offense. It's just really discouraging. Yeah. My thing with my thing with Ben is like I've always been defensive of him and. Um, I don't think like a lot of people in the community realize like how good he is at um mm-hmm. creating for others and on defense. But th- this year, like he always does start the year off slow, but I'm starting to get worried because he just has not looked good at all offensively and um getting to the rim. Like um, and he, I just don't understand why he won't shoot like little mid ranges. Did or you guys see how much space he was three. getting? Like he shot two real today. This like year. they were back. They were like. I'm pretty sure I, I I think Olenek was guarding her at one point. I don't remember, but like maybe he got switched onto him. Um, but yeah. he was literally like behind the free throw line. Ben was beyond the three point line. He wasn't even looking at the rim. He was not even looking at the rim. Like you you can't have that with your primary ball handler. You just can't have that. And, and when he does get worked, to the rim, he's just progressively gotten yeah. worse. Uh, one thing that uh bothers me about it's worked with um i obviously like i said it was magnified tonight because we didn't have uh curry and tobias who have been knocked down shooters both of them this year tobias in basically all the games but what one where he struggled and um curry and all of them so when you're missing that production and you're missing that uh i guess security blanket to pass out to it's hard. It's a lot harder to, um, I guess your your uh, your flaws are magnified a lot more. But one thing with Ben is like I don't understand why he won't shoot because you look at R.J. Barrett and he's like nine for like fifty from three on the season, mm-hmm. and if you take away like one of his games where he made like seven threes, he's like two for forty. Like that right there is why I don't understand why he won't shoot at least a three a game. And I wasn't really like I didn't really have much of a problem with it until now, because it, we just keep getting promised it and we're not getting it. It is, and but it's hurting it just, the team it, it's overall. Also, it's also um, a shame that yeah. this whole COVID thing happened because our offense was looking pretty fluid when we were fully healthy. Like Ben, we could get away with yeah. Ben only scoring like ten points. Mm-hmm. Like I thought that his 
average is going to go up this year. It's going to mm-hmm. go down. What did he average last year? Close to 17? Like 16. 16.6 or something like that? Yeah. And then the year before, he averaged more, I believe. He averaged over 17, Close right? to 17, yeah. Or over – I don't know. Either way. Yes. He's always been around 17. This year, I'm thinking he's yeah. going to finish like – It's always 15. been around the same. I'm not even kidding. God. But, again, that that can be fine when you have Seth Curry, who's – likely going to average over 16 if he I think he'll keep up the pace like he's getting open looks every game and Tobias yeah he's shooting like he's shooting career like Tobias is just so much better this year so much more fun to watch so much quicker with his decision making yeah you know it's just um so would you surround him with that and then obviously Embiid who can stress Mm -hmm. him for himself that's a recipe for success, but his flaws are really magnified when you put him around the players he had tonight. Like he's he he's Ben's a complimentary player. He's not a guy who you can put out on the floor with four other scrubs and ex, and expect him to. Yeah, you, you can't lean. Yeah, exactly. You can't lean on him. He's a complimentary guy on, him. on a really good team. Talking about Joel and beat tonight. Uh... This is the Joel Embiid that I was expecting and hoped for this year. Um, I was really critical of Joel last year because defensively and even offensively some nights, he was just really lazy. Um, He'd take bad shots. He was not defending the rim well. And now this season, we're getting back the Joel that was active on both ends and just flat out carrying the team on most nights. Like, besides the, like, few game, like, the two-game stretch or whatever, like, before our whole team went down, he was just flat-out carrying us, and now he did again tonight. Um, 20 points in the third quarter, uh, game-tying shot to send to OT, and then I forget was, how many points he had in OT. He was, but, he was just uh, unbelievable was really tonight. I mean, he played tonight. like, it's rare where, it's rare where I think that every shot he takes is going to go in, but that's what I was feeling like. After that third quarter, especially he felt that too. He was he eight for eight in the third. Three. Oh yeah, yeah. I thought Tumble was, yeah, was like go eight in. for eight in the third quarter. Every time <laughs> he, he was feeling himself. Yeah, I think um, if he's playing like an MVP candidate right now, I mean, he's gonna have his nights where he's a little bit off because naturally that's just that's gonna happen. But yeah, we couldn't we couldn't really ask for much more right now. Uh. Yeah, happens everyone. As of now, I'd probably say he's like second in. Yeah, he's up there. But Curry's had his. Curry's had his stinkers too. You maybe say like third too. Curry struggled last game, but uh, I'm watching the game. Yeah, I mean, if if he's he's playing really well, I think. Curry shot two for sixteen last game. Yeah, yeah, Curry had a game one. If he's up there in MVP. That's all we can really ask for. Yeah. Um, you know, at that point, it's just it's up to the voters. But if you're in the MVP conversation, then you're doing something right. Yeah. So I think that once we get healthy again and uh, get Curry back, who's like literally perfect for Embiid, I think we'll be fine again. Uh, but, you know, Simmons right now, his biggest asset to us is his – it's his defense and his transition game and his playmaking. But um, 
yeah, once we just gotta push it. Once we get to half court court offense, I'm still kind of. I mean, we've in the games that we've played in the clutch this year, we've done well. But I'd like to see how we play in the clutch against an actual playoff team. You know what I mean? Like, I'd like a close game against a fully healthy Celtics team. Yeah, I don't yeah. know how many times that shot's going in for Joel. Like, it was a good shot, but it's not a high percentage one that he can get. You mean the last one? Yeah, the send it to overtime. Well, yeah, I mean, at that point, there's not really yeah. much more you can do. I mean, you could have taken it to the rim, but he probably would have lost control of his handle, to be honest. I think that was the best shot for right there. But in a different scenario, I mean, I, I don't know if we can – say that we trust Tobias yet. I still have to see more, but, you know, we have two other guys that I would trust to take that shot. I would definitely trust Curry to take that shot. So, um, I'm interested to see how we do down the stretch. What do you say? You don't really need somebody like Jimmy to, like, ISO for the last shot. Like, Doc's been really good at calling plays out of the timeout and just getting Curry an open look or getting uh, Danny Green an open look would be yeah. a good shot, in my opinion. And Embiid's more clutch than people give him credit for, too. Like, he has like, I'm pretty sure he's like mm-hmm. the highest clutch percentage in the league. Like, the yeah, shooting even, percentage in the league. I mean, I think that the like clutch the thing moments, is the clutch, per, the what they define as clutch time is a little bit, yeah, like ex, more extended than it should be. Like, I'm like, I'm talking about like last mm-hmm. two minutes. They're, they do like what, last five, right? Or last four? In between a four, like a five point game yeah, or something. I'd agree with that. Are we talking about just the NBA season in general and uh, how we think it's kind of a joke? Nate, you had something you wanted to say about that. It's ridiculous to me how um, entire rosters have just been decimated by so called contact tracing. Um, like the Sixers and the Celtics and the Heat and multiple other teams have just missed. Most of their like top guys, simply because the NBA says that they were in close contact with someone who tested positive. Like obviously, an entire roster's in close contact with someone who tested positive. Like you're practicing with that person, and you're on the bus with that person, and you're on the plane with that person. And it's just ridiculous to me how um, they rule these players out for yeah. multiple days, and they're still testing negative, and they don't have the virus, and they're just quarantining and not playing basketball games. Um, like, and it's also ridiculous how the Sixers had to play a game with seven players because it was on NBA TV, and they basically said, "Oh, well, if you don't have eight players on the bench, you forfeit." Well, when Boston needs so to Mike's get a postponement, they get three games we have seven. Um, the contact tracing. Yeah. No, no, uh, and I'm not saying that they should. Yeah. Like, we're not saying that they shouldn't have like, those games postponed. We should have had our. It's just um. Yeah. I just think the NBA is – it's in a really tough spot mm-hmm. right now. Like, what can you do? Like, you can't you can't have another season going to October. So you can't keep postponing. Like, take, like, a week off and try to reset everything. It's just, I just feel like it's going to keep happening, though. Like, yeah. I, I just feel like the NBA is in for a, um, a I think it's trouble. because it's the they holidays have, like... and people are seeing their family and spreading from that. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't. I'm not too worried about it, honestly. <laughs> no, um, they have the new protocols, it. and it honestly, it kind of sucks for the players that, like, they're not allowed to 
leave their house. Like, yeah, no one's gonna listen to it, but hopefully, it, like, improves things. I just hope. I feel like they're gonna keep that around. Tracing, um, they're gonna keep the contact stuff. tracing thing because they want to be as safe like, as possible. I'm not really too worried about it. I I it agree that it's, sense, um, it doesn't make sense. But what? Literally... Yeah. I just hope it's more clear. There's literally a video of and it's MB not like touching. I hope that like. Uh, Seth Curry, like giving him a high five after a free throw, and then touching his face multiple times, and somehow he was cleared to play the next game. They should at least like they should the contact tracing like if they made players miss a game, then that's all right, I guess. But like the fact that players have to miss like four games or so, yeah, we're not doctors, but seven tracing, even though they don't have the virus, yeah, just makes more sense to me. I just think uh, I just hope that. We can get to the playoffs with minimal, um, you know, seeding um, shifts because of COVID. Like, I, I hope that the seeding is what it is because of how the team played, not because of players being injured or uh, players being out because of COVID. Games could be the difference between playing the Magic in the first round or playing the Nets in the first Exactly. That's like, that's what I'm trying to say. Like, that's why, like, if this, if we miss out on the top two or three, three seed yeah. because of two games, I'm going to be really mad because like, you know, if you play the Magic in the first round, that's a win. If you play the Nets in the first round, we don't really seven. know, but I'm saying I... yeah, so it's going to be really, really tough soon. No, it would be a Especially it would be a difficult. Honestly, I don't think they match up well versus the Nets from what we saw. Well, that was kind of a that was kind of a fluke game, um, in my opinion. But even still. without KD and Kyrie, from what we saw this game, I really like. Oh, yeah, I no, I, yeah, I agree with that. I just think that he's really active on the yeah, offensive board. Yeah, I agree with that. So. I just think that's, Jared that's Allen struggles um, against. I really like his against team, against Joel centers who are active on the like Chris really Silva affects, tonight. Yeah. How many offensive rebounds did he get? Yeah. <laughs> Like, like Jesus, and, like you and, can't be letting Chris Silva get yeah, Chris Silva that many offensive injured. rebounds. I mean, but that's what Dwight um, does to other teams. So yeah, Chris Silva yeah. had. Um, I thought I thought it, I thought it would be more that so crazy tonight and five offensive rebounds. And yeah, Joel does struggle with those active, uh, quicker centers who can get to the offensive glass. So yeah, I don't love the Nets matchup, especially because I mean, when when somebody gets an offensive rebound, the defense collapses. And you can kick out to Kyrie or KD or Karis LeVert, whoever. Joe Harris. So, yeah, Joe Harris, who absolutely killed us. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, if we have to – I feel like – We just got to hope that – Our best bet would be somehow playing that, that the Bucks instead. I mean, I'm not saying that the Bucks are – like a, I, I think that we match up pretty well with the Bucks. Joel does that right with Giannis, but – I'm saying well, I would rather play them. Play than them but yeah, I would agree. Yeah, definitely. So, so, in the playoffs. so if we have to play Brooklyn in the first round, obviously that's going to be yeah. uh, that's not going to be ideal, especially if it's um, decided by. Yeah, exactly. So the bottom line is the NBA. Uh, we're not really huge fans of how they've been handling the situation, but it is a tough situation. So. You know, this is something that's never been seen before. So, we got anything else, or? Mm-hmm. All right, guys. Uh, 
That's episode two of Broad Street right, Coverage. That covers it. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time.